Do you know what is the most expensive advertisement that's been produced so far? Guess the price first. It was it cost 33 million to produce this advertisement that featured Nicole Kidman uh, on the perfume Chanel number no. five. Companies spend billions uh, of money on advertisement because they know in return they will get even more money back from the increase in sales. Advertising works because it creates in consumer in us that desire to buy. It works by persuading us that what we have is not enough and there's a better thing out there. And only if we own this latest thing, our life will be happier. And so on the slide, when we see the ad of products like iPhone 7 or BMW, it does make us want to own it, doesn't it? These words always sell us the idea that we need more. However, what Paul wanted to tell us here in this passage is very different. He said that we don't have to buy more things for ourselves in order to feel happy. Instead, he says that we should desire to give away our money. And he said this giving of money is a blessing that God wants us to receive. And he called this blessing a harvest of our righteousness. Uh, I'll reach a conclusion at the end of my sermon. I can take off the slide for a while. I'll reach a conclusion at the end of my sermon when we reach the latter half of chapter 9. Uh, but before that, let's look at the, our passage from the beginning, uh, verse by verse. And so we start by recapping uh, the context. Last week, we have seen uh, in the first half of chapter 8 that Paul appealed to the Corinthians to give money, uh, to give towards the needy Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And Paul gave them a few reasons to motivate them. Uh, the first was that they needed to show their love for Christ was genuine, uh, to show that they've understood the love of Jesus Christ, who cared for them who were poor spiritually. Uh, the second reason to motivate them was that they had indeed more material possessions than the poor in Jerusalem. And so it was not unfair for them to share with those who are needy. Uh, that was chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. And now in our passage today, Paul went on to deal with the so-called administrative issues concerning this collection of money. Uh, he did it in chapter 8, verses 16, all the way to chapter 9, verse 5. And then after that, he gave further teaching to encourage them to give generously towards the end of chapter 9. And so firstly, in verses 16 to 24, Paul told the Corinthians that he will be sending Titus and two other brothers from Macedonia to gather the collection from them. Titus were mentioned in verse 16 and 17. And Paul commended Titus as one who cared earnestly for the Corinthians. Titus, like Paul, were concerned for the Corinthians, concerned for them to hold firm to the gospel and to respond rightly to it. And then next was the first brother mentioned in verse 18. Uh, he was commended for being famous in the preaching of the gospel. And the second brother we see in verse 22 where Paul wrote, and with them, meaning Titus and the first brother, we are sending this another brother, our brother whom we have tested and found earnest in many matters. As for the first brother, as well as being famous for his preaching, Paul said in verse 19, uh, something important here, he said he was appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace. Well, you may be wondering, who are these churches? Well, the churches here most likely refer to the churches of the Macedonia. Previously, we know that the Macedonians had contributed generously to this collection of money for Jerusalem. 
And so the money that was collected among the Macedonian churches, they will be brought by those appointed by, by them to go to Corinth. And then after gathering the money from among the Corinthians, these Macedonian delegates, along with the delegates from Corinth, will travel together to bring that to Jerusalem. Now, Paul explicitly wants to show this, want to say this to them. He said, this brother was appointed by the Macedonian churches. He was sent along with Titus so that no one may accuse Paul or anyone of any dishonesty regarding this collection. The truth was that money was a sensitive issue between Paul and the Corinthian Christians. Before that, the Corinthians were wondering why Paul did not receive any financial support for them, from them while he was preaching and teaching the gospel to them. And that actually caused some misunderstandings, which you can read in certain parts in this letter, as well as in 1 Corinthians. Therefore now, Paul was concerned that this collection will present further opportunity for them to speculate or have further doubts about Paul's integrity. Implicitly, in these two verses, he was saying, I want you to be sure that I'm not taking money from this collection for my own personal use. This is entirely for Jerusalem. And the brother from Macedonia, he's there to safeguard this purpose. And therefore, he said in verse 21, we aim what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight. He knows that he's honest, but he also wants to show to them. He also wants to be honorable in the sight of man. Therefore, we see how Paul undertook special measure to ensure that the Corinthians would not doubt him in explaining to them so that he will, they will be able to trust him. Paul was careful to explain himself, not merely because he cared for his own reputation per se, but ultimately because he cared for the Corinthians. He cared for their faith in Christ. Therefore, he wanted them to be able to trust him so that he could continue to exhort them and to continue to bring them back to the right gospel whenever they drifted away from their faith, as they did previously. And this is an important principle for us to imitate. imitate. Likewise, if we encounter similar sensitive situations, we have to take precautions so that our brothers and sisters in Christ do not doubt the integrity of our actions. And this applies especially to money, but also other matters that may cause similar sensitivity. And we must know that we do this not for our own reputation's sake per se, but it's ultimately for their sake, so that we can continue to have trusting relationship with them, and therefore we can continue to minister to them by encouraging them and exhorting them in Jesus Christ. And so next, Paul said in, verses, in chapter 9, verse 1 to verse 5, that Titus and the two brothers, they were in fact sent to go earlier, earlier than Paul, before, to go ahead before Paul arrived there, so that the money would be ready when Paul was finally there. In verse 9, in chapter 9, verse 1, he said this, Now it is superfluous for me, superfluous for me, to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness. Well, as you read this, you might be thinking in your mind, Paul said it was superfluous for him to write this, and yet he wrote two chapters on that. <laughs> now what was Paul really trying to say? See, I don't think Paul was being sarcastic or being inconsistent here. Uh, what he meant by superfluous was that he did not have to explain everything again about the ministry of giving money to the Jerusalem Christians. That was because a year ago, Paul had already spoken to them about this ministry. And a year ago, they had already responded willingly and wanted to contribute to the collection. 
That was all a year ago, when things were going well with the Corinthian church, until some issues crop up within the church we have seen before, that have affected their faith in the gospel, affected their trust in Paul. And in turn, this collection of the money was neglected. What happened after those issues was that Paul wrote them a letter to rebuke them harshly. And then after Paul rebuked them harshly with a letter that was before 2 Corinthians, we saw in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians that the Corinthians responded well to this rebuke. In chapter 7, Paul himself, if you remember, that he was pleased, pleased with their repentance and their godly actions. And therefore, after telling them that those issues that have affected them have been dealt with, he then picked up this matter of money collection again, which had been neglected by those issues. And so when he picked up this method again in chapter 8 and chapter 9, he said, yeah, indeed, it was superfluous for him to repeat everything again that they knew a year ago. All he wanted to do was to remind them about that and, to con- and to now to encourage them to pick up where they have left off a year ago, where they were so convicted of the gospel, where they were responding rightly to God by wanting to contribute to this collection. And we saw that he said if they were to continue where they left off a year ago, it will be a solid proof, a proof that they indeed reconciled themselves to God, a proof that they reconciled themselves to the gospel preached by Paul. That was why Paul said in chapter 8, verse 8, it is to prove by the earnestness of others, for others, that your love for God is genuine. Well, those just little bit that I said just now was merely a recap or what we have heard last week from Tim Nichols. And so the Corinthians had to show by their actions that in their heart, they were again responding rightly to God's gospel. They had to show it by being willing to contribute their money. But then now in chapter 9, Paul here adds another reason why they should be ready with the money collection when Paul arrived. They were so that when Paul arrived with other Macedonians, Paul and the Corinthians would not be humiliated before the Macedonians. Why would they be humiliated? Because Paul said in verse 2 that he previously boasted in front of the Macedonians about the readiness of them in giving money before the Macedonians. Paul boasted about them previously, probably just before the problems within the Corinthian church has escalated to a serious level. Probably he boasted about them just before he wrote their severe letter to rebuke them. And Paul said that because of his boasting about them, the Macedonians were stirred up by their willingness. You may be wondering, stirred up to do what? They were stirred up to give money themselves. Earlier we knew from verse 2 that the Macedonians gave to the collection out of their extreme poverty. They had overflow in a wealth of generosity. And now here in chapter 9, Paul revealed that their overwhelmed generosity was partly because they were stirred up by the Corinthians, by their willingness a year ago. But what has turned out was a year ago. But because of these issues affecting the church, the money collection was not ready at all. And so, you see, if the Macedonians were to come with Paul and see that Corinthians were not ready at all with that money, it would be awkward or even disastrous. That was why Paul said in verse 3, But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated. 
to say nothing of you for being so confident. At this point, some of you might think that Paul was using shame to pressure them to give to the collection. That somehow Paul was saying, well, you better give some money now or else you'll lose face in front of other Christians. Well, but we do not have to necessarily read it in this way, that Paul was using shame. It could well be that Paul was simply giving them more good reasons to be eager to give to the collection. He's not using shame to guilt trip them, but he's using a positive encourage as he appealed against the Corinthians' concern for their fellow Christians in Macedonia. He wanted to explain to them because of what happened before that their actions now would affect them. It will affect the Corinthians' relationship with them as fellow Christians. And we should know that this is a positive appeal and not just a moral pressure, not a guilt trip. Because we should remember back in chapter 7 that Paul indeed expressed his confidence in their godly grief. He expressed his confidence in their repentance after Paul harshly rebuked them. If you just quickly turn to chapter 7, verse 16, Paul did say this. He said, I rejoice because I have perfect confidence in you. And so as Paul was convinced of that, that these Corinthian Christians had once again shown their love for God and for the gospel, so now he, he appealed to their restored love for God by appealing them to now show love for their fellow Christians in Macedonia. And so Paul said in verse 5, And so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Paul said Titus and the two brothers were sent in advance so that they will give the money willingly in response to the love of God. Willingly in response to the right teaching of the gospel as taught here by Paul in chapter 8 and chapter 9. Remember, the Corinthians had, ju had just shown their repentance towards Paul's rebuke. And what Paul urges them to do here was not easy to put into action. And so Paul wanted to give them time and space to willingly respond to this exhortation. You see, he did not want to come to them directly, teaching them all this face to face, and then straight away expecting them to contribute their money. Think about it, if he did that, it might cause them to feel undue pressure to give money, especially when their relationship had just restored after Paul had exerted his apostolic authority before that. And if there were undue pressure to give, then the Corinthians will feel that they were forced or they might just give it begrudgingly, you know, with your bitter face. That is why Paul said, I want it to be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction, not as an extortion. Therefore, Titus and the two brothers were sent ahead of him to bring this teaching in the letter in advance. And probably Titus and the two brothers will do further explanation about Paul's teaching here. You see, maybe that's why Paul mentioned one of the brothers was famous for his teaching, for his preaching of the gospel. Why? Because it was necessary for them to be more and more convinced of the gospel, to allow their faith in Jesus to drive their action. He planned all this so that they have proper time, proper space for themselves to respond willingly, rightly to the gospel. And so here we can learn quite an important ministry lesson from Paul. You see, Paul insisted that right action must follow from the right, must follow with a right response to the gospel. 
the right action must follow from a right response to the gospel. And so they should give their money to prove their love for Christ and for others. But at the same time, Paul gave them time and room for them to make that right action willingly. He did not want them to feel forced or simply sold it as a rule that they simply had to obey. And so likewise for us in our context, as we see to grow the maturity of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we must also keep urging them to grow godlier and godlier and to show it in their actions. But at the same time, we must allow ample time, ample space for them to grow willingly themselves, to grow and mature. Because it might take a while for a person to understand the gospel rightly. And it takes even longer for a person to gradually shape his or her action according to the right understanding. You see, if we don't allow time, ample time and space, if instead, if we keep rushing Christians to grow and grow, if you are too eager to see that every Christian performs the godliest action all the time, that can be quite an undue pleasure. That can become merely a rule, something that we do just to stay inside this community. It can be legalism at its worst. This is important in terms of giving money, but it's also relevant in other areas of godliness, like serving in different kinds of ministry. You see, we are, we are usually very careful. We are very careful in making sure that no one is forced to give their money, that they are to give willingly. So we should also be careful that Christians do not feel obliged or pressured to serve even though the fact is that all Christians should be encouraged to serve. But also, that was what we can learn from Paul, even in how he deal uh, with these administrative issues. And then Paul continued uh, to give them one last teaching, one last teaching here on this matter, to encourage them to give. Uh, here is the theological part uh, of this passage. He said in verse 6, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And the word bountifully in Greek can actually be translated as upon blessings or upon generous gifts. So we see here that it can actually be read, whoever sows upon generous gifts slash blessings will also reap upon generous gifts or blessings. See, Paul said that the one who received generous gifts are the one who has first given generously. What is he trying to do here in this verse? Again, it is just a reinforcement of what Paul has said earlier. That they will give willingly and not begrudgingly. Because to give a generous gift is to give willingly. You see the connection? And that's why Paul continued in verse 7. Each one must give as he had decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Summarizing what he said earlier. But then, Paul moved on. With that verse, Paul was saying something more. The first part, whoever sows generous gifts, is what is a recap of what he said earlier. But then with the next part of it, he's saying that whoever sows generous gifts will also reap generous gifts. Then you may be thinking, what are the generous gifts that the Corinthians can expect to receive when they give away their money generously? Well, if we only look at verse 6, then maybe it can read something like this. Just maybe, I'm not saying that it's right, you see, whoever sows upon generous gifts will also reap generous gifts. If sowing generous gifts equals to, for the Corinthians to give money generously, if you do some equation, I'm not sure you're the maths person, so whoever gives money generously 
who also receives money generously. In one sense, we can read poor logic in that sense, isn't it? And so, this kind of logic can easily read like prosperity gospel that some churches wrongly taught. They say that if you give more to God, then God will bless you with more material possessions. Indeed, one can easily think that the whole verses 6 to 11 endorses prosperity gospel. On the next slide are the exact words in the Bible. So just read, let's just read the bolded words uh, out of context. See, you will also reap bountifully, reap generous gifts. And then you may abound, you may increase the harvest, you may be enriched in every way. So you see, if we read kind of prosperity gospel into the text, we thought that Paul was really teaching that. But that is wrong, because that is not what Paul really said. Because those sentences are not complete. See, the bracket with the dots are the words they have deliberately deleted. If you read the whole context, the whole sentences, then we realize that Paul was teaching not prosperity gospel, but something entirely opposite. And so next slide, we fill it in the gaps. Here Paul said that the generous gift that they received in verse 10 is not just any kind of harvest. It's a harvest of their righteousness. In verse 8, he says God is able to make them sufficient in all things, but not so that they may abound in material goods, but so that they may abound in every good works. And what is this good works in the context? It is to give generously to the poor. And you see, in verse 11, it is not you'll be enriched in every way, full stop. It's that you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And so, yes, Paul did indeed trying to say that God will provide abundant money for them. But the end goal of providing abundant money for them was not so that they could accumulate more money, but it was for them to give away generously to those who are in need. Therefore, how did Paul seek to encourage them to be generous? It was by telling them that God will be generous to provide them so that they can give it away generously. And the Corinthians should realize that they had been blessed indeed with material possession. And so now they should know what to do with those possessions. And secondly, Paul told them that when you give away your money generously, I can take off the slide for a while. And secondly, Paul told them that when you give away your money generously, you are actually receiving a generous gift from God. He said this gift is a blessing of producing a harvest of their righteousness. But what exactly is this harvest of righteousness? See, Paul in verse 9, he pointed to the fact that God is the one who is righteous. God is the one who is distributed freely to the poor. Remember our Old Testament reading in Deuteronomy chapter 15? Uh, there's no slide for it, don't worry. Uh, there, there's, there's a slide, sorry. Uh, Deuteronomy 15, we read about the instructions for the rich ones uh, to care for the poor uh, in Israel. Verse 7 reads, If among you one of your brothers should become poor, if any of your towns within your land that the Lord God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. And in verse 11, For they will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Uh, from that chapter, we see that God cares. God cares for the poor in his land. And so he cares for the poor one by instructing those who are rich to provide for their needs. God said, I bless the rich ones so that they were able to help the poor. And so this is the righteousness of God 
all since Old Testament until now, his righteousness in caring for the poor. And therefore, the, the Corinthians will be producing a harvest of their righteousness when they participated in God's righteous work. It is a blessing to be able to give away our money generously because we'll be doing works of righteousness in helping the poor tremendously. I know it is an old cliche to say it is more blessed to give, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we know that even many non-Christians use this phrase a lot, a lot to guide their actions. But the truth is that this is indeed God wants us to do as His people. And now let's think for, now let's think for a while about how we can practically reap a harvest of righteousness. Let's say we have about RM200 to spare in our budget. What can you do with RM200? Well, it can be quite a lot. It can be used for a very sumptuous meal, or it can maybe buy an electronic gadget. But $200 ringgit can, only be, can also be used for works of righteousness, like providing toilet facilities for seven households in Sri Lanka through World Vision, or provide 40 Bibles to Christians in China through Bible Society. Well, I'm not trying to make us feel guilty about how we spend our money, but I'm just trying to help us see how our money can indeed benefit the poor ones so greatly. And so this will help us to desire more to imitate God in this harvest of righteousness. Now, finally, Paul has given them yet one last teaching to encourage the Corinthians to give generously. Uh, this we have to look closely at verse 8 again. Okay. Paul said that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Well, if you go closely on the word sufficiency, in your Bible, I think most of it should have, there's a footnote number 9 next to it. And if you look at the bottom of the page, footnote number 9 reads, All contentment. And so you should read, God is able to make you have contentment at all times, at all things, at all times. Well, I mean, they are quite similar. Contentment and has the same, the word has the same, has a broad range of meaning. It can mean sufficient externally or contentment internally. And so you should read, God is able to make you have contentment in all things at all times, instead of just all sufficiency. See, when we read all sufficiency, we usually think that God will give us more and more and more until we think it is sufficient. But this is not what Paul said. He said it's about feeling contented as well with what we already have. In Philippians chapter 4, uh, Paul said that even when he faced hunger, he did feel contented. Even when his hunger is hungry, not enough meals to eat, he said he, he can be contented. He said he had learned the secret of contentment in all situations by God's grace. And this then is really the grace of God that he wants to cause to abound in all Christians. God's grace is not only in providing us with sufficient money that we need. He does that. But his grace is also in making us content in all situations. So that as we continue to give our money away generously, we'll continue to have all contentment in all things at all times. And this is what Paul meant when he said in verse 10, God will supply and multiply our seed for the sowing, the harvest of righteousness. And in verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way. You see, the seed and the enrichment is not only the material goods, but more importantly, 
it is contentment. We are being given more seeds of contentment. We are giving more enrichment in contentment to do God's righteous work. At the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned how the advertising industry always try to make us feel not content with what we have. Always make us want to buy things for ourselves so that we will feel happy that when we can accumulate more material possessions. But Paul here wanted us to break away from that lie and deception. He wanted us to know that God is able to make His grace abound in us so that we can be contented with less and less things. And therefore, we can give away our money generously and so be able to truly rejoice in reaping real blessing, the blessing of reaping the harvest of righteousness in caring for the poor. You see, we need God's grace to help us realize that we can be contented because what we have materially is indeed already more than we need. But that alone, though important, is not enough. That alone is not enough going to stir us up to desire for the harvest of righteousness. On top of that, we also need God's grace to realize that we have been blessed spiritually by Him, that we are saved by Jesus Christ instead of being condemned by our sins. We need God's grace to always be reminded that the material world is not all there it is in our life. And there exists a future kingdom of God which can only be discerned spiritually. It is only through knowing our spiritual richness that we will willingly give up the pursuit of material richness. And so a recap of what Paul said in chapter 8 verse 9. For our sake, Jesus Christ became poor so that by his poverty we may become spiritually rich. And lastly, in verses 12 to 15, Paul said that the contribution towards the collection will result in the Jerusalem Christians giving thanks to God and glorifying Him. Because if, if, if these Corinthians were to give any money to them, they were doing so out of the con confession of the gospel of Christ. And so rightly, their giving will result in God being glorified. Uh, we've seen what uh, Paul right here in chapter 8 and 9. Finally, let me give just five quick points, five quick points at the end about the practical implications of today's passage. Uh, we've seen how Paul wanted to encourage us all Christians to participate joyously, participate willingly in the righteous work of caring for the poor. Therefore, first point, as Christians, we should seek to care for our fellow Christians who are poor and needy in this world whether near or far. Uh, that is the first obvious point. But secondly, our care for the poor should not just be limited to Christians, to poor Christians. We should also care for all the poor in the world. Jesus said in the Gospel, we are to love our neighbour. And in the parable of the Good Samaritan, who is our neighbour? Our neighbour are all those around us who are in need, all those who are need help, regardless of their religion, nation or race. Thirdly, we are not only to give money towards helping the physical poor, but also to help those who are spiritual poor. Because the ultimate righteous work of God is not in eradicating poverty. His ultimate righteous work is to usher in His glorious righteous kingdom, to call people into their future kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we should first and foremost want to give money to help those who are without this gospel. We should give our money towards the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ for those who are lost in their salvation, those who are spiritually poor. Fourthly, 
because the more serious poverty is spiritual poverty. Whenever we seek to help those who are materially poor, we should find opportunity to point them to Jesus Christ. I know that sometimes the situation will limit how much you can share, or even limit how much you should share about Jesus. And I'm not saying that if you have no chance to share about the gospel, then we should not, it's not worth helping those who are materially poor. No. I, I think the work itself is still pleasing to God. It still will bring glory to God. But if we truly want what is best for the poor, then we should seek to help them see what they indeed need is Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Fifthly and finally, it is not only about how much dollars or how much ringgits were given towards God's righteous works. More importantly, it is also about how much time we devote ourselves in helping the poor, both those who are materially poor and those who are spiritually poor. You see, the one who spent half his time doing those work of righteousness and spent half his time working to feed himself is just as good as the one who gave half his salary away. And these are just the five points, five quick practical points I want to say about how we can use our resources for, our, for the harvest of righteousness as we imitate God. Last week, uh, Tim Nichols, if you remember, gave some guidelines about how we can use less money for ourselves. I thought it would be nice to complement that with where can we give away those money where we have not used for ourselves. But here again, I want to emphasize that these are not rules. These are not commands that you must do. These are just guidelines on what you can do. And this is also what Tim Nichols said explicitly about his guidelines that he showed on the screen. That he didn't mean it to be a kind of legalism, but merely a suggestion. What we want ultimately is for all Christians to respond willingly to the grace of God in their lives. But at the same time, as we ask them to respond willingly, we continue to exhort them to make the willing response by speaking about the practical implications of what can and what should be done. And this is what the church must always do, to exhort all Christians with the gospel of Jesus Christ to live out their faith. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed that you are a righteous God who cares for the poor. You care for us uh, who are condemned and helpless in our sin. That you sent Jesus Christ to save us. That when he was rich, he became poor so that we could be saved. And we thank you indeed that as we look around us, we are indeed blessed materially. And thank you for the reminder that we are to respond to your love. Uh, by, by doing the work of righteousness. As we do that, as we care for the poor, those who are materially and spiritually poor, we are indeed receiving a blessing from you. For we have the grace in you to be content so that we can joyfully participate in this righteous work. Pray that you will encourage us, that we will be doing that for one another, that we continue to encourage each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, to respond really to the gospel and to live out our faith. We pray this in the Son Jesus' name. Amen.